0: Welcome, my friends, to the latest Selby is Godcast on The Athletic Cleveland. I am TJ Zuppi, who is currently in Cleveland, although not technically in Cleveland. I'm in my home, which is south of Cleveland, which, Zach, you will say is somewhere near Kentucky? Is that where where you think my house is at?
1: Is it true that even though I'm in Arizona, you're further south than I am?
0: (laughs) I am really close to the equator, uh, actually, so we've been uh we've been out in the back swimming all day having a lot of fun actually the weather back in cleveland has been terrific and i know you tweeted made a joke about it earlier today but uh i hate to brag i think it was i think it was better weather here today than it was for you out in arizona
1: i think that might happen again um it it's oh boy so i went from nashville to arizona i had a little shindig in nashville i had to attend And so, in the days leading up to this super long multi-city trip, I was checking the weather forecast religiously, just seeing, like, what do I need to pack? Because I I hate checking bags. I don't want to embark on a several-week trip and then have the airline lose my back. And then I'm wearing the same exact thing to the complex every day, and players are giving me weird looks. Um, and, and not to mention when I travel, I, if I, if the temperature is above 30 degrees, I wear shorts. So not only that, but I also don't want to be wearing the same pair of athletic shorts to work every day. So (laughs) long story short, I like to stuff everything into a carry on suitcase if I can. And so I'm looking at the, the weather forecast and like Goodyear was, it was 85 degrees here. For like the last four weeks, every single day, which is it's usually not that warm that early in the year. And then since I've gotten here, it's been like it's been freezing. Like I'm waiting for it to snow. Uh, It's, it's, I know no one feels bad about people who get to spend February and March in Arizona. But it's, I don't think we're going to see a 70 degree day for like another week at least.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really sad story. And I can't wait to hear more of it coming up. But I'm hoping. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, all I heard all day from people in Cleveland was how it was 71 degrees. And they're
1: wearing shorts and going for a run outside. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, we're even.
0: Well, I'm hoping that when this script flips and I'm in Arizona next month and you're back in Cleveland until we're both in Arizona at the end of the month, I'm hoping that I still get the good weather and then you're back here where it snows. I'm just hoping that that can happen at some point, that, that you can be back here with terrible weather while I'm out in Arizona having just experienced the great weather back home in Ohio while you were complaining about the dreary days in Goodyear. If, if I can get that accomplished, it was a really good spring for me.
1: Well, I will say this. We're both going to suffer because the Indians play 17 home games in April. I don't understand. It makes no sense. It's cold in Cleveland, Major League Baseball, especially in April and even in May. Let them play on the road. Send them to California. Send them to Florida. Send them to Texas.
0: Well, they I are sending them why. to Puerto Rico. So that, that's kind of for what For two wanted.
1: days. For two days. <laughs> it makes no sense. And Seattle at the end of March? I know they have a dome, but
0: come on. Us reporters. Here, uh, here, we... here's, here's what I don't understand. They, they open in Seattle, which has the retractable roof. And they need an off day on the second day of the season? For what? In, in case, what happens? There's a roof. We're, we're, we're going to be protected. They're, they're going to get these games in. There's going to be no washout, rain out, rescheduling of anything. Knock on wood. But I, why, why is there that that secondary off day? on? You, you play one game and you need another day off? I get it when there's weather potentially involved. But in Seattle, where the weather won't be part of it, I, I, I don't get it.
1: It's because they're going to be tired from game one. Uh,
0: yeah. Got to get that stamina and durability back up. Um, Well, you know, it it could be an issue for these players and game one will be our first taste of it. Maybe they'll be worn down from, from not being able to take a break, go out to the mound, see, you know, take a step out of the box because it's going to be, let's try to get this game in in an hour and a half um, rushing to the finish line. It's not going to be quite that bad, but we did get our, our, our sense of what some of the changes this year will be and. I I always feel like, Zach, every time something like this happens where it could be a drastic change, it could be a minor change, it always feels like the end of the world in that moment. And then things play out, and it's always probably a lot closer to reality, a lot closer to the status quo than than any of us expected. And I look at uh, extending the netting a few years ago when that happened, fans freaked out about it. They didn't want to have their views obstructed. And what within the first two or three games, it was already out of sight, out of mind. It, a lot of people don't even know that the, there's that overhead netting behind the plate. They don't even pay attention to it. But that was a big deal when that when the Indians rolled out the some of that extended netting, and they'll they'll do that again even further this year. And then I look at the unintentional, intentional. You don't have to throw four pitches. Walk that had everyone really kind of up in arms, and and I, I'm included in that. And then last year happened and it went by and I don't think anybody really lost any sleep over not having those four pitches having to be thrown. And in fact, I kind of actually warmed up to the idea of it. So as I sit and look at limited mountain visits and things that kind of seem like doom and gloom at this very second, I don't know that it's really ultimately going to make a huge difference in the, the gameplay aspect.
1: If they didn't announce it. And if we didn't make a big deal out of it, I don't think fans would notice at all. I, I, Joe Torre uh, visited Indians camp today, met with the team, met with uh, the coaches just to explain everything and, and see if anyone had questions. And, and Terry Francona said he wanted to speak with Joe Torre before he shared his opinions on everything with us. But it's, it's not a big deal to me. It might be a big deal in the future if they institute the pitch clock and enforce things and, and really crack down on, I don't know if if they put a runner on second base in extra innings, stuff like that. But at this point, I I just kind of shrug. I it's they'll, it, I think Francona quoted Joe Madden today saying that it won't take long before it just feels like the new norm and everyone is used to it. So it's I I'm I'm fine with trying to kill extraneous unnecessary time. Um, I'm also of the opinion that baseball is fine and who cares if it's three hours and three minutes instead of two hours and 54 minutes, like those nine minutes aren't really going to make much of a difference. And, and getting rid of those nine minutes aren't going to turn me into a baseball fan if I wasn't a baseball fan before. So to me, it's, it's not a big deal. I think we all talk about it too much, care too much. And I think the league cares too much too
0: yeah it's just trying to win over the the fan that is borderline that only watches a few times a year i think we have to s- sort of keep in mind that this is bigger than than us hardcores that would watch the game regardless of, of how much how lengthy of, t- of time it takes because we just enjoy every element of the game not everybody's that way so i mean i'm willing to to accept that they they have bigger things in mind here than just appeasing the hardcores, but it's I think it's difficult to keep everybody happy. That's evident in pretty much everything that happens. And go check social media every time there's any sort of news story, and I think that's pretty evident. But I, I'm also with you. It probably wouldn't be noticeable if we didn't if we didn't publicize it, if we didn't report on it. And teams will will adapt, just like they adapted to. Yeah, the the instant replay thing was a big deal a few years ago, and there was certainly a few bugs to work out. And I still don't think the system is perfect, but teams adapted. Teams understand how the system works, and there there aren't those there there isn't a, a great number of, of of ways that they've screwed up the game or ruined the integrity of the game with instant replay. The game is constantly evolving how it's played, and I think there are other off the field things. That, that can be done to impact things on the field, like you know, keeping guys uh, in check in the box on the rubber, making making sure that the umpires have the power to enforce those things. We don't really know how that's going to go. <laughs> if a team tries to make a seventh mound visit and the umpire says no, what happens then? Uh, but I, I'm okay with it. I, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in any of this. But I'm also of the opinion that. I think we get way too focused on time of game, and that's not really important. People sit down and watch college football games. How long do those things take? An hour and Six a half? Six hours. Three hours and 30 minutes? Right. I mean, you covered the damn thing. But th- those, the length of those games is disgusting, but people watch it because the action within that three and a half hours or whatever it ends up being is enough to be compelling. People go watch three-hour movies, and at one point, people said, "No, people will never sit through a three-hour movie." Well, people do that now because they find the action within the three hours compelling, and I think it's the same thing with baseball. The World Series, nobody cared how long those games went. Why? Because they were friggin' awesome games, um, and the act the action within the game was tremendous. You didn't, you almost didn't want the game to end. So, I, and that's where I think they're trying to, to to fix any issues that are, are perceived to be there. And I think a lot of this just comes down to enforcing the rules and some of the rules that are even in the rule book already that you could just enforce to make guys get more on task and get back in the box and let's go.
1: I, this, the wisest thing Mark Shapiro ever said, in my opinion, is when he talked about it's, it's the pace of action not the pace of play that needs to be remedied. And even think back 20 years ago, baseball games are taking a long time. No one cared because there were home runs flying out of the ballpark every five seconds. So you just want to be entertained, whether it's two and a half hours or three and a half hours. And because we have the three outcomes, uh, strikeout walk or, or home run that are so prevalent right now, it's two out of those three are kind of boring. And so you, you want to just to, to better the ratio. You either need to decrease the time of the game and just eliminate some of the, the extraneous stuff, or you need to increase the action and increasing the action is kind of hard to do. um, If you're the league, unless you, I don't know, juice the baseballs or something. So, um,
0: (laughs) Hey, 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 those are well within the realm of what a baseball should be. It's got laces and, and, Everything it needs. Um, so, I, I'm with
1: you. I, I think, I think the the main point, and, and I don't think baseball would ever come out and say this, but I think, I think the strategy here is to just pound it into players and coaches' heads that you want to not waste time, and eventually that will just become human nature because you don't want to like you don't want to rush a pitcher and make him throw a pitch before he's ready because a that's how you get injured and B, that's how you screw up and you don't want to have a hitter. You want a hitter to be able to get set before he takes a swing or else the same thing. So, so you don't want to, you don't want to influence the outcome of the game, but if over time you institute some rules, you just keep enforcing, reinforcing the fact that you want to speed things up. Eventually that becomes the norm. And then the players, it's just second nature not to step out or, not to take an hour on the mound before you throw a pitch. I think that stuff will become second nature, and it'll just, you know, just naturally make the game quicker.
0: I think one of the the more interesting things to follow, if if this does actually work the way they intend, and pitchers get on task and throw pitches sooner at a quicker pace than they have been in, in years past, you know, there's been speculation and even some um, some studies on how velocity is tied to the length between pitches and i've read certain studies that that indicate that there's a correlation between the velocity rise in recent years and the pace between pitches and if you get a pitcher on the mound and quicken his pace could that could that decrease the velocity a little bit and could that lead to more balls being put in play i think there are there are are things that we don't even we don't even wonder, we don't even think about it at the moment that could could change the way the, the game is played. And I think that's it won't change the the sanctity of the game or or, or change it to a, a level that it won't look the same anymore. But even like we were talking in the offseason about how teams are, are being smarter and not spending their money in certain ways, and we don't know all the ways that that'll impact future free agents and how guys will view their arbitration years and whether or not they'll sign a, a long-term contract before it's time. I think there's a lot of different elements of this that will be impacted that we're not even thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it, it's going to take time. I don't, I just I don't know. I, I don't know that we need anything drastic. I don't know that, I mean, that, the World Series last year was incredible, and some of those games went super late. I, I think, if anything, like people have more gripes about World Series games starting at like 8.30 Eastern. Like, maybe if you move games up so that they're not forcing people to stay awake until one in the morning, no one will care if it takes three three and a half hours. In um, fairness, so.
0: in fairness, the NBA All Star game is still waiting to be played. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I don't think the thing started yet. So,
1: when you uh, set this up, can you intro us with Furry's National Anthem Edition?
0: <laughs> How about we just imitate it? I think I could. Could you do better than that? I I would put money on on actually you doing better than than she did.
1: I think I could. Yeah.
0: She apologized for it, by the way, and said that it was just because she was taking a risk. Uh, And sometimes we take risks and fall flat on our face. And she very much did the exact same. Um, So kind of on the topic of the way the offseason went and teams getting smarter and how they spend their money, finally we got a resolution to the J.D. Martinez saga. And wouldn't you know it, I can't believe it, Zach, or how shocked are you that he ended up with the Red Sox? It's crazy. No one, no one linked those two throughout the whole winter.
1: Yeah, it, it's, this is funny because everyone was freaking out. I mean, you had people saying, oh, maybe the Indians can make a play for J.D. Martinez if he falls. Like, no, guys are still going to get their money. The, the, the premium free agents, nothing's changing except the fact that they're signing on February 20th. Instead of December twentieth, um, and, and I think we're going to see a few more sizable contracts come out, and, and you're going to see players sign with teams where it's like, oh yeah, that's not that surprising. I mean, it's it's just uh, it's it's kind of just this game of tug of war. And and one exec put it to me this week. He said he was like, "Have you ever seen a player take?" a smaller offer they they always take the larger offer like it's 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 a measuring contest and it, it always ends up that way no matter what point in the off season it is like um you know Lorenzo kane got a big contract JD Martinez got a big contract um you Darvish got a big contract and it's not like these guys had to settle and I, and I don't think there will be some players who have to settle, but I think it's the middle class. And I don't think it's, it's that upper tier free agents. And so, yeah, J.D. Martinez goes to Boston and, and really solidifies their lineup and makes the American League uh, competition even healthier. And I, I think you're going to see a few more guys sign. And it's, it's going to kind of, I don't know, I, I think it'll be frustrating for Indians fans because I think people got their hopes up that someone was going to fall in their laps. And I don't think that's going to be the case.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't rule out completely that they, that what we see now isn't quite what we'll see on opening day. Cause you said there are some, some of that middle class that is going to have to sure. settle for something. And I, and I think you're a hundred percent right in that those will probably end up being the players that were impacted the most. Um, and in, in some ways, because when this is all said and done, the, the top tier guys will end up getting their money and, and maybe this will end up being much to do about nothing. But for those middle guys that had to sit around and wait and not know where they're going and then maybe get a delayed start in spring training. How many guys have we seen that start behind the eight ball that sign late or have an injury in spring training, miss any time. And then they just can never get started. Even in recent years, Jan Gomes, he had the injury in the beginning of the season, tried to come back and he just has never even been the same since that that time that he missed, or Jason Kipnis last year, uh, mm. go back a few years ago in, in 2012. Johnny Damon didn't sign until mid-April. Now, Johnny Damon was also over the hill and probably done anyways. But General tr- cramping. <laughs> but just seeing him try to catch up to everybody uh, was really kind of embarrassing for him, I'm sure. So I think, I think there's an element of this that is going to really suck for some of those guys because they're not going to get the contracts that they were hoping for. And it's, and it's kind of like the same thing with what we're seeing with these, with the separation in baseball between the the haves and the have nots, the teams that are going for it and are trying to win are spending money and, and they're trying to, to go for, to win a championship. And then you have the teams that are saying, well, we're not in their class. So we're going to get out of the pool completely like the Rays are doing right now. Cause they're they, hell they're no, there's no chance they can compete with the Red Sox and Yankees now. So they're completely out and it, it, isn't that kind of the same way in free agency where if you're not spending top premium dollars on those top guys, why am I going to waste money on a guy that's worth a win and a half? Two wins is just kind of a league average guy when I could just spend the league minimum on a guy that maybe isn't that good, but is at least in the ballpark. It's, it's like those guys are, being, are the ones that may end up getting hurt the worst.
1: Uh, I was speaking about this topic with Mike Chernoff and his general manager this week, and the way he compared it, he didn't know this reference, but the way, the way he compared it is exactly like our HPD league. Um, are you sure he's not
0: actually privately not telling us that he is in this league? Are you sure? I've actually, I have asked him this before.
1: I've asked him if he plays HPD. He said no, but, um, it's. He then promptly
0: made fun of you and gave you a wedgie because you're an even bigger nerd than he
1: is. (laughs) There's no middle ground anymore. I mean, you're either a a contender or you are vying for the number one overall pick. And so it used to be a little different. It used to be, okay, well, even if we know we're not great, we still might sign some free agents because we want to sell tickets and because we have nothing else to do with that money. No, now it's... If you're not contending, you're not spending either. And so... You don't even want to trot out some some expensive free agent at a position because you might have a younger guy that you want to give a look to and you want to develop those younger players so it's there are so few teams seeking what's out there on the free agent market. those teams are good, but also because they're good, they have good players already and a lot of those teams also because they're good have spent money and don't want to spend so much money that they're over the luxury tax. So it, it's a lot of different factors that have contributed to this. And we've talked about it at length all winter, but it's, there really is a, a big separation there between the haves and the have nots, like you mentioned. And, and we see it. I don't want to delve too deep into HVD, but like <laughs> you in HVD, we actually have a salary cap and you're allotted only so much money. So if you aren't going to sp- be good, you don't want to spend much on payroll because you want to devote those resources to, scouting and uh, developing and drafting and international market and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's really, it's kind of starting to mirror real life where teams are, if you're not contending, you're spending a hundred percent of your energy on your farm system and player development and stuff like that. And so it's kind of the way things are now. I think one GM said it was, there are more teams vying for the number one overall pick
0: than for the world series. And it's, it's true. And imagine the, well, not only the royalties that com owes us for the amount of time that we talk about Hardball Dynasty on this podcast, yeah, really. but imagine how, I guess you don't even have to imagine, you can just look at the way that fans view this differently now compared to 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now, fans have seen the Cubs, they've seen the Astros bottom out, they've seen that this model of getting completely out of of any type of contention and trying to bottom out. They've seen how that can work. So now you have fans that are are thinking more like smart front office members or owners um that are okay with not spending as much money. If if you're I, I know this might be a touchy subject now because the Rays fans are kind of upset in the way things have gone the last few days um looking for a direction, but I'm I'm willing to think that there's a lot more fans out there now that look at what they're doing and think, well, this makes sense. I understand what they're doing. Uh, or the White Sox who decided to go all in on their rebuild. And now their fans are all geared toward, they, they can't wait for all these young kids to come up. I, I think the, the pressure that front offices and ownerships used to feel from the fans to, to spend money to finish at 81 and 81 and somehow make themselves feel good about that is not as great as it used to be. I think you're seeing more fans thinking sort of in that, along the same lines, which without that that pressure to s- spend a ton of money coming from from the guys that are, are buying your tickets and spending money on the organization, I, I think that helps. I think that helps every situation.
1: Well, it's why – I mean, we've seen it in other sports. It's why I never understood why, especially two years ago when the Browns were 0-14 and the Niners, I think, had one win. Mm-hmm. And fans were obsessing over the Browns winning a game saying, Oh my God, I'm going to be so mad if they lose this Sunday. And it's like, no, you should want them to get the first pick. That should be number one on your priority list. I understand, you know, the, the kind of the, the fan playbook, but this is different. And and I get, if you wanted the Browns to win a game this year, because the number one pick was theirs. It wasn't in jeopardy. So, We've seen in the NFL and in the NBA, you don't want to finish 500 or right around 500 every year and pick in the middle of the pack because it's so hard to turn around your franchise with those mid-first-round picks. Baseball's a little different because it's so hard to project, but we do have you know, scouting departments have so much more information now than they used to where I, I'm sure Brad Grant and company could tell you who the first in some order who the first five picks of the draft are going to be in June just because there's baseball America's out there and and, um, all these other outlets that have already done all that homework and they've been scouting these guys for over a year. So it's, it's, it's just, it's easier now I think to project in baseball. It's still really, really difficult, but we're seeing you'd still rather pick first than pick eighth. And especially when that happens every single round. And so, I think teams have realized in all sports, like, it doesn't pay off to be 79 and 83 every year. I mean, what did the Blue Jays get out of that, what, 10-year stretch where it seemed like every single year they were 81 and 81 and staring up at the Yankees and Red Sox? I mean, that what does that do for you? It does nothing.
0: Yeah, I I just think you're seeing a lot more of the fans opening up to that thought process, which could be dangerous because sometimes it's good to feel that pressure from the fans to, to go out there and win. And you don't want to get complacent too. So we'll see how that develops over the, the next few years is, is kind of uh, our understanding of the game and how it's, how these teams are put together kind of evolves. But with, with you being out there in good year with the start of, of camp, let's Zach run through some, some quick hitters, some get us some information about what's going on with, with some of the guys out there. starting first of all with, the guy that we've written, I think, 472 articles, somewhere in that ballpark, um, about since uh, the start of the offseason, it's Michael Brantley. Uh, how does he look so far, and, and kind of what's your read on his situation?
1: Well, he's taken batting practice. He took live batting practice today, Tuesday. Um, and he's, he's further along than I would have thought. Uh, you know, he's, he's the one thing he hasn't done. He, he's done some running, he's done plenty of throwing and, and stuff like that it's he hasn't done the type of running where you're cutting one direction you know he's not going to play left field in the in the Cactus League opener on Friday obviously because he he's not at the point where he can just plant and maybe change direction stuff like that but he's he's doing pretty well and and now this is i, I hate talking about Michael Brantley in February and March because it's the same thing every year Opening day is an artificial deadline. They just want to get him healthy. It doesn't matter exactly when it is. He's progressing nicely. He's working so hard. Credit to him and credit to Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti for saying all the right things um, because they probably feel like broken records at this point, and they sound like it. But I think he's doing well. Uh, He moved around well today when he snuck up behind WTAM 1100's Nick Camino and, and popped uh, the plastic, not the bubble wrap stuff, but the other plastic filler that they put in in packages, he popped that in Camino's ear, so he was very uh, stealthy when he did that, so if that's any indication, uh, he should, he's on the right track
0: What about Danny Salazar?
1: Uh, he, can I say this? Is it a purple nurble?
0: I, I I'm stuck somewhere between wanting to know the context and not wanting to know the context. so
1: i'm standing <laughs> I'm standing Jeez, against dude. the fence: <laughs> 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 I'm standing against the fence today as the Indians are taking infield, and the pitchers started to file in well I didn't know they were, but they were starting to file in to take PFP um, and I'm like standing against the fence toward the entrance, minding my own business. And first, Carlos Carrasco comes and just barks really loud in my ear. And I jump because I didn't know the pitchers were all filing in. So that scared me. And, and it was a, he, like, who, bark-? who barks? What is that? And so then he laughs. And then Nick Goody is right behind him. And he, I don't remember what he said. He made some comments about me being scared of the bark, something like that. Then Danny Salazar comes in next and just gives me a purple nurple. So I, I don't know what that means. It, it was with his, I think it was would have been with his right arm or right hand. So um, that's yeah, the shoulder could,
0: that was bothering him. If you could grade that, what uh, scale of one to ten, we probably can be able to tell whether or not it's going to start the season on the DL or if he'll be in the rotation. Yeah, he's.
1: I mean, he did he's he's like he got dressed and he's hanging out with all the pitchers and i mean they he like he didn't throw live bp today but and, he, and he's a few weeks behind everybody but i don't think the indians think this is like something that's going to keep him out until june so I, I think you know he'll just have to play some catch-up it would make sense if he was on the dl come opening day just because it would probably make it a little easier for them to compose their roster and maybe not have to abandon Ryan Merritt. But who knows? We'll probably see.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing that makes this difficult to to forecast whether or not he's going to open up the season on the disabled list, j- just because we've seen so many times before with him, they're willing to let him start a game even though he's only going to go three or four innings. We've seen them do that before. If they think it's more beneficial that he gets his time building up volume, pitching in an actual game, then they, in the past, they haven't had any reservations about just letting him go out there and throw, even if he's only capable of throwing 75 pitches. So I think that that's what makes it sort of really irresponsible for us to forecast just even based on him being two weeks behind that he, that he's not, that he is, or is not going to make the team just because, We've seen it before with him. Just because he doesn't have the typical starter length, they still take advantage of the fact that when he's healthy and right, he's a really good pitcher.
1: And they have... The the one thing that's going to be interesting with this competition, and they have four off days in the first four weeks. So, I like, they might carry... It would make sense if they carried Ryan Merritt as that, what, seventh reliever just because they don't want to lose Ryan Merritt. He's... Maybe their only minor league option for starting pitcher that they'd feel comfortable with until Cody Anderson's healthy, but like they they might not even need five starters, let alone six or, or seven, if Salazar's healthy. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that factors into the equation.
0: Piggyback, A little piggyback mm-hmm. action. Salazar comes in for starts the game, goes three innings. Bring in Ryan Merritt. Imagine the difference in a hitter seeing 97 mile per hour Salazar than 79 mile per hour Ryan Merritt. Would it How be better fantastic... to see it
1: that way or the reverse?
0: Uh, does it matter? I don't know if it Not... matters. <laughs> Either didn't, way,
1: didn't was R. A. Dickey pitching in the uh, All Star game a few years ago, and then Aroldis Chapman came in right after.
0: Maybe. That would or was be. that a
1: dream I had? <laughs>
0: it could be. Never rule out anything. Uh, someday I'll tell you about the one on one conversation I had with Carl Willis uh, from my dream the other day. I'll let you know all the topics that we touched on. It was it was pretty informative. Um, the Next topic, you mentioned him briefly, Cody Anderson. Where he's where is he at?
1: Well, he threw a bullpen session. He's so they're going to bring him along slowly too because it's been not quite a year since he had his elbow surgery. But he's, it's crazy how a few years ago this guy was like, just stick him in a flannel shirt, put him in the woods, give him an axe, and he'll chop down every tree in the forest. And he just lost all that weight and added all that muscle and, like, just looks like a beast. And so I'm still blown away when I see him. And we haven't seen him except the one strange, hilarious conversation you and I shared with him last summer um, about picking up boxes and closing sliding glass doors and the other weird things he wasn't able to do while he was injured. But he's, uh, you know, I I think he's, you can tell just how he's, he's always smiling, talking with teammates. I think it's like, oh my God, there are actually people here in this clubhouse with me. This is amazing. Like this poor guy has had to be out in Goodyear for over a year
0: now. And While they were doing was... construction, he was like helping them, I think, reconstruct the, mm-hmm. the facility out there. You know, he wasn't picking up any boxes just in case any of his doctors were listening. Um, but I think he was out there helping,
1: but he's going to be interesting. I mean, I, he's, he's not going to be on the opening day roster or anything, but once he kind of works out the kinks, gets back and comfortable with his mechanics and his proves he's fully healthy. Cause that first year back after Tommy mm-hmm. John is always, a big question mark, but like maybe later in the season, a piece out of the bullpen, it could be, it could be a really intriguing option.
0: Yeah. I think uh, somewhere in the second half of the season, you might see him. And I know it, it's, they say it's command is the last thing that, that really needs to come back. But it'd be interesting to see what his velocity is too. Cause remember he had that mm-hmm. uptick right before the injury, he was throwing harder than he ever threw before. And, I always wondered if, if it was because his body changed so drastically that that led to some of the arm problems, or if it, because he was putting more strain on his arm by throwing harder. Yeah. I, I don't know. So it, it, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty there with him, but I think he's uh, kind of an intriguing guy to watch, uh, maybe in the second half and then certainly, uh, moving forward. He could become, because we've talked so much about this too, uh, they're going to need some bullpen help starting in 2019. Perhaps that's where he's going to fit. Um, how about the, the guy they welcomed back uh, just recently? And, of course, it gave them every opportunity to roll out every video and GIF that still gives goosebumps and makes people tear up a little bit. Rajay Davis is, is back in camp. And this is something that I'll be writing about in the, the next few days over at The Athletic. But you know, what, what's been the, the mood in the locker room seeing Raj back with, with some of the guys that he played with in 2016?
1: You know what's cool, and, and I had an extensive chat with him today. It'll be this week's Thursday conversation on the athletic. Um, a lot of times, someone does something great, and after a while, the novelty wears off, and maybe they don't want to talk about it as much. And it's what's in the past is in the past. And with him, like I would have been, it would have been completely understandable if. He looks at it now and says, Hey, it was a great moment. We lost the game though. And it was two years ago, and I'm focused on the future. And even when he came to Cleveland last year, like he had the he held court with the media in the visiting dugout. And we all talked about the home run and he reminisced and it was great. He still loves talking about it and thinking about it and, and he can't stop smiling. And I almost wanted to like check his arm for goosebumps as he's talking about this. Because you can tell, like, this is a player who has worked really hard to stay in the league as long as he has. He's, he's not blessed with the greatest bat. He's not blessed with, I mean, he, he's got speed on defense, but he, he's, not, he's not a gold glover. He's not a guy who gets on base a ton. And so he's, he's had to work hard. And the fact that he's still in the league is pretty impressive because he's bounced around so much. But for a player who hasn't had that all-star career, to have that kind of moment, it's cool to see that it means so much to him and that he is really proud of it. And he's glad that he's been in Detroit and Oakland and Boston and Toronto and Pittsburgh. And it's cool that a player who has bounced around that much is forever a legend in one of those towns because of something he did. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, you bring it up to him today and he was just thinking about everything that had to go exactly the way it did for him to be up in that moment and and get that chance. And like, it's, it's pretty cool to, to look back. And even Brandon Geyer was saying the second he saw Rajay walk back into the clubhouse the other day, he he immediately started thinking about game seven and thinking about how he was on second base when he hit the home run and how he still has the wristband in his locker with Rajay's face on it. So (laughs) it's, it's a nice dose of nostalgia. I don't know if Davis will make the team, the one of a hundred guys who's, Status probably depends on Michael Brantley's health. Um, But it's it's, it's definitely a cool moment. And he's, hey, he's 37 years old. It's been around for a while. At the least, he can help the younger guys and and push some people for the next five weeks or so. What's,
0: What's crazy about Raj is, like you said, he's turning 37 this year. He actually got faster, according to StatCast, last year. He was faster than he was in 2016. And it was more on par with where he was at in 2015. The guy has not lost a step. And now so I, I tweeted that out after they, they made the announcement that they had brought him in on a minor league deal. And someone said, yeah, big deal. He hit two, whatever last year. He doesn't get on base. Yes. All that's true. I'm not saying that that means that Raj is still uh, capable of being an impact player. I don't, I don't know if he ever really was, but the fact that he hasn't lost speed is, is is important here because that's what his entire game is based on. That's that's what he's made his whole career on. If he lost even a half step then he's probably out of the league. The the fact that he is still according to the statcast the 11th fastest player in sprint speed last year is that means something to him because he's trying to to maintain his career and it means something to the Indians because you know if he's filling this role um, and it, a lot of it depends on Brantley. A lot of it depends on Brandon Guyer too. We don't know if he's going to start the year uh, on on the on the DL or what's going on with him. as he's getting over his wrist? And we can we can talk about him here in a second. But for him to still maintain that element of his game, because that's what it's all based on, is really really important. I don't know if he is the best fit anymore for this team uh, because what you're really looking for in that backup outfield role is somebody that can play center field that maybe. Uh, if, if Zimmer's not going to be an everyday guy, can platoon there or at least prove that he can hit left-handed pitching. And Raj has never really been a, a huge uh, split guy that's going to crush lefties. And in fact, if you look at another guy that they signed to a minor league deal, Melvin Upton, I, I think if you just look at past track record, I think Upton actually fits the role of what they need more. They've been similar defenders in the past, even though Upton has – has a leg up in some of the advanced metrics as far as center field goes. The speed is is comparable, so it's not a, a major difference. But the, the big difference is Upton is, is at least in the 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 past few years and he, he didn't play in the majors last year, but he has crushed some lefties in the past. And and that's where I wonder if if he might be the better fit when it's all said and done. Now he's got to prove he's healthy and capable of playing. But I'm wondering how the dynamic between a guy that is just beloved and the fans love. And there's that, that link to the past with Raj there. And then a guy in Melvin Upton, who's a little bit younger and maybe fits the role a little bit better than Raj, but he doesn't have that connection that that Davis does. I'm curious how that's going to play out as camp unfolds.
1: Well, they have options, which is good. Um, And it's like guys like Abraham Almonte and Tyler Naquin and Greg Allen are like not even on our minds. There's someone named Brandon Barnes in camp. He has a lot of tattoos. He's like a legitimate option. Like he's he's in camp thinking he's going to win a bench job and turn some heads. Like there are a lot of options. I, you know, I, I did ask Rajay Davis about his speed today. And before he could answer, Melvin Upton, whose locker is right next door, interjected and said that Rajay was born with an extra calf muscle. <laughs> so I, I don't think that's true. I didn't investigate. But um, – those two have quickly forged a friendship. Um, and, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's cool for Raja. I asked if this was a tough decision, if he had other offers. And he goes back into a clubhouse where, like, 80% of the faces are familiar. And he's hailed. I mean, think about the last time a lot of these guys saw him. His last two at-bats were the game-tying home run in Game 7 and then an RBI single to keep the Indians' hopes alive in, in the 10th inning of Game 7. Like, there's no better way to go out unless you win that game. And and now you're reconnecting with all these guys for the first time since then. So yeah, all in all, I mean, the Indians, it's, they have a ton of puzzle pieces in the outfield and I'm not sure how they fit together. And it's going to take a while before we start to have a clearer picture of that. Um,
0: But at least they do have some options and they have guys with different skill sets, which is always helpful. That's really crazy that, that Upton and, and Raj have a, a locker right next to each other, but that I'm also thinking about what Michael Scott once said, keep your friends close. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Are you still watching that show? Uh, it's, it's slowed down, but I picked back up uh, somewhere in season seven. Uh, so apparently Michael's getting ready to leave the show. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Any other spoilers you want to drop in on any shows that I happen to be watching? Has Dwight gotten his sex change yet? <laughs> <laughs> Still waiting on that one. Uh, there's no acceptable segue to it, so I'll just move on. Infield does present a another interesting dynamic between two guys that, that could make the team. One would be on the outside looking in then, and of course we're referring to Eric Gonzalez and Giovanni Urshela, which, as I know you wrote about today, they're really doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on the – the utility aspect of Urshela making him play just about everywhere on the infield. But I, I don't know how they're going to make a decision when it comes to, to down to one of those two. But Tito was saying today, and he told you guys there's a real chance that one of those guys is no longer going to be on a part of this organization once they get to opening day, because both of those guys don't have any options left.
1: Yeah. They're such similar players. I, I don't know how, you make that decision. There, there's a chance if guys are injured or something that both make it, but that's not even if that's the case. It's not a long-term solution. So, and and I mean, what does Yanni Diaz have to do to like earn a legitimate shot right. at making this roster and getting some everyday playing time? But it, it's it's you have these two guys fighting for a utility spot, and it's going to be interesting because I wonder if they're in a tough spot. Like other teams know the situation. They know that one of these guys is going to be available at some point. So it's not like teams are going to give you a ton for them in a trade, but maybe you try to weigh who has more trade value because there might be a young team that has an opening. Um, I don't know, a Braves or a Phillies or a Marlins or something and, or shoot the Rays. Um, who needs – who could use an infielder, whether it's a utility guy or, or maybe you give Urshela an everyday shot at third base, something like that, and they'll at least give you something for them. And maybe maybe you explore that as camp goes on. But it's going to be a tough evaluation, and, and they're such similar players, and they're both so good defensively. And like has bounced around. He's played just about every infield position in the, in the uh, two days. They've had full squad workouts so far, and, and we know Gonzalez can play – Second, short, third. He's played some outfield. So two versatile guys, two glove first guys. And, you know, Terry Francona admitted it sucks and they have anxiety over it. But they're probably going to lose one of them.
0: Final thing I want to ask you, Zach, uh, for this week's podcast. and You gave a quick rundown uh, in your musings today. But just give us a little taste of some of the sights and sounds. Uh, Some of the random things you may have, have seen that didn't involve Carlos Carrasco barking or Danny Salazar twisting any parts of any anatomies. Well, Carrasco's been, the last two days he's grabbed a bat
1: before fielding practice and has imitated his teammates' stances. So he did Roberto Perez, he did Ivan Encarnacion, Jason Kipnis, probably some others that I wasn't able to identify um and as we all remember Trevor Bauer actually did that in a game in Pittsburgh a few years ago so Carrasco it's funny but it will not match uh Bauer's comedy level until he actually does it when it counts um you know it, it's it's so laid back at this point um the, the clubhouse is everything is so set because you you've got like your your old the old guard with Brantley and Kipnis and Kluber and Gomes and those guys who have been around for a while, who just go about their business, quietly get dressed, leave for the day. You've got younger guys like Ramirez and Lindor, who are basically the core of the team now. Um, and Lindor, who his biceps rival Yandy Diaz's now, um, and his hair rivals Cisco, or as Terry Francona called him, Billy Idol. who um, You probably remember, that's kind of your, uh, he was like 70s, right?
0: Yeah, sure. Eighties, yeah, right when I was born. So, yeah, of course, Billy Idol. Then he um, let out a rebel yell as he told you about his hair.
1: No, Lindor didn't know who Billy Idol was. So, hmm. um, but yeah, you know, it's it's just it's laid back. It's kind of quiet, and it's these guys are all familiar. It's not like there aren't many people who are going through spring training for the first time. There aren't many people who aren't familiar with a lot of the players in the clubhouse. So that kind of creates for an atmosphere where everyone knows what they're doing. They know their routine and it's just, it's kind of just status quo. Well,
0: you've really sold it there. So thank you for
1: letting us know some of the excitement. The one thing is, and I know we started the podcast with this and that's fine because you're in Cleveland and it creates for a more interesting conversation. But the only thing anyone talks about down here is the weather. Like if it's really nice out, everyone you talk to brings that up first. And when it's chillier than normal, like today and all week, everyone talks. I had the conversation about how it's warmer in Cleveland than in Arizona with at least 10 different people today. And it's not because I want to. It's because that's the (laughs) only thing there is to talk about on day three of camp with a team that, is basically the same as last year and is going to be good. And there's not much else to talk about. It's unbelievable. Like it's whether you're talking to the security guard at the entrance of the parking lot or Chris Antonetti, like all there is to talk about is the weather and man, we are boring people.
0: (laughs) If if that wasn't a sell job on you needing to subscribe to this podcast, (laughs) then I'll go ahead and, double down on that right now subscribe over on apple Podcasts on bumpers you can find all the links uh, on the athletic page and we tweet that out we'll be tweeting that out in the morning so be sure to check if you need uh, any any of the rss feeds or really anything that you need as far as the podcast goes you can find them there be sure to rate and subscribe leave us uh comments things you like things you hate It all flies, and we're all good with it. Just do that over at Apple Podcasts, and we do appreciate it. Any parting words for those back in Cleveland that are are going to be sleeping with the windows open and a smile on their face? (laughs) Uh, No, just purple nurples suck. (laughs) That's where we'll leave it. Have a great week, everybody, and hopefully you avoid the the same fate Danny Salazar offered Zach Meisel. We're out of here. See you guys.